Hello, and welcome to the Convention of States Legacy Podcast, a weekly program that looks back on historic content from our archives. We hope you are educated and inspired by today's edition. In today's episode, Convention of States Action Senior Advisor Rick's Interim speaks before the Pennsylvania Leadership Conference in 2022. So we have uh, one speaker left for you uh, before lunch, and, and this is really a, a very special speaker. Uh, I'm going to ask you all a trivia question. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to bet that nobody in this room can answer this question. So in 1994, and I, many of you look too young to have been around in 1994. In, in 1994, <laughs> Rick Santorum was on the Republican ballot for the U.S. Senate in that primary race back in 1994. There was another name on that ballot as well. Does anybody know what that other name was? <laughs> That's right, Joe Watkins. And we all know how that turned out, right? Rick Santorum went, went on to win, uh, he had served already two terms in the U.S. House and then went on to win uh, two terms in the U.S. Senate, uh, serving Pennsylvania as he did uh, wonderfully in the U.S. Senate. Uh, he became a national figure uh, because of his strong stances and his, uh, his, his intellect and clarity on a whole host of issues. And in 2012, Rick Santorum was a candidate for the Republican nomination for president and did a remarkable job, ran an incredible campaign, as many will remember, in 2012. He's, he's an extraordinary man. Uh, married for over 30 years, a father to eight children and, uh, and one grandchild. And, uh, and I'm proud to, to, to not only say that I admire him, but to call him my friend. Please welcome U.S. Senator Rick Santorum. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you very much, uh, Joe. It's an honor to be introduced by you. And, uh, you know, they, they, they made a good choice, I would argue, in 1994, but they had two good choices uh, on that ballot back then. Um, every time I, I speak in front of a group of Pennsylvanians, and, and maybe some of you have heard this, I, I always just feel very humbled, candidly, and, um, and just uh, overwhelmingly grateful uh, for the opportunity that the people of Pennsylvania entrusted in a 36-year-old kid you know, out of, just out of diapers, it seemed like. And uh, I was the youngest member of the United States Senate when I was elected by a long shot. Uh, and yet the people of Pennsylvania gave me the opportunity to, uh, to serve in the United States Senate and uh, certainly changed my life. And, uh, and I am eternally grateful. And I always have to say thank you uh, for, for giving me that opportunity to, uh, to serve the country. Um, you may ask, you know, why am I here? Uh, I, uh, I'm not uh, active in politics uh, anymore as much. I mean, I do, I do some work for Newsmax, uh, but uh, I've stayed active and engaged in, in, in policy for a long, long time. And uh, I do so for one reason, and frankly, one reason only, uh, is because over the time that I've been involved in politics, uh, from the 1980s uh, now and to, um, uh, to, to date, our cause has been losing. Our country is declining. Our culture is failing and coming apart. And I have to get up every morning and I have to look in the mirror as someone who 
was involved in the highest levels of government, ran for president, tried to move this country in a particular direction and look in the mirror and say to myself, you have failed your country. And so I can go and continue to do the things that I do. I have to provide for my family. And, and I, I do a lot of wonderful things. I'm involved in a lot of interesting businesses. And, uh, and, I, and I, like I said, I worked for Newsmax. Before that, uh, I was over in enemy territory and worked for CNN uh, for five years. You know, someone has to be a conservative voice to speak to folks who don't hear our side. Uh, and, and so I, I felt, I really felt privileged to be able to do that. Uh, and, but, but I can't go away. I can't give up because we're failing. I, saw, I, I gave a speech a couple of weeks ago to the leadership of the National Religious Broadcasters. They had their convention in Nashville and they asked me to come and speak. And so I spoke to three or 400 of their leaders and, uh, and I got up there and I said, you know, 25 years ago, 95% of Americans believed in God. Today, 50% of Americans believe in God. I said, 25 years ago, 30% of people believed in the devil. 56% of Americans, more Americans believe in the devil than believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I said to them, I appreciate, there's the leaders of all these, you know, religious organizations who are out there in the media doing wonderful things. And I said, look, I appreciate the great work that you're doing. But you're failing. And I'm not here, and I'm not somebody who's into participation trophies. You were given an opportunity and faith and trust by people who support you to make a difference in the world, and you're not. And so I would say to all of you, conservatives, you're failing. I appreciate the great work you're doing. And by the way, I'm including myself in this. But whatever you're doing, it's not enough. One of the things I learned when I was in the Congress and the US Senate is that the other side is committed. They really care about this stuff. I, just look at what happened to Disney this week. And you see all these people at Disney. And then you see people, and you probably see a few interviews, of the fact that a majority of Disney employees don't agree with them. But what do they do? Nothing. Nothing. Oh, we're afraid to speak up. Ladies and gentlemen, I was canceled from CNN. Why? Because I told the truth. How many of you, whoa, how many of you have been canceled? How many of you have lost your job? How many of you, we have to start taking into stock the reality of what we're facing. That we are now the minority in this country when it comes to power. I'm talking about power in corporate America, power in education. We're in the minority. They control all the levers of power. And the reason they got them is because you stayed silent while their side squawked. You were afraid to lose because, well, I don't want to lose my job or I don't want to lose my friend or I don't want to lose my position. We just weren't courageous. 
We took it for granted that things would be okay. And by the way, things are still okay. Most of us are still free for now. Most of us can still go to the church we want for now. Most of us can live the lives we want for now. But it's closely, slowly edging and seeping away from us. And we don't have the courage to stand up and lose. There's a quote in the Bible that is one of my favorites that it says it's easier for a rich man, it's easier for the camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to get into heaven. Ladies and gentlemen, we're the richest group of people in the history of the world. We have more stuff than anybody anywhere ever, ever. We are the richest of the rich. And you say, oh, I'm not that rich. You are rich by any standard of any generation. I don't care what income level you are in America. You have a cell phone. You have a supercomputer in your hand. You are rich. And what happens to rich people? They covet their stuff. And they forget about what's important because they want to protect their stuff. We have to keep worrying about our stuff and worrying about the future for our children and grandchildren. I saw a statistic in Gallup the other day. The people in my generation, less than 1% identified as LGBTQ, whatever. This generation, Gen Z, 21%. Is that because genetics have changed? No, because we've allowed the popular culture and our educational institutions to indoctrinate our children. Our children, their souls. We haven't fought for them. What are you willing to fight for if you're not going to fight for your own kids? One of my favorite movies is Lord of the Rings. One of the things I always took from Lord of the Rings, the movie in particular, was the fact that the symbol of Mordor, the symbol of evil, was what? The eye. What was unique about that eye? It was a human eye. What was unique about it? It didn't have an eyelid. Never closed. Evil is always on the march. Are you... So I got involved in things in, after politics. I got involved in a movie company, making faith and family movies. Didn't work out so well. They, no one wanted to work for a company that Rick Santorum was the uh, CEO of, believe it or not, in Hollywood. How about that? And so I tried, because I thought that's where the big problem is, it's the culture. But I realized that's not my thing. I tried other things, but what I'm good at is politics. And so I started going around giving speeches about where we are failing as a country politically. That we're seeing this accumulation of power in Washington, D.C. We're seeing the woke, just like they do at corporate America. Yeah, they're doing it in California, and they're doing it in New York, and in the woke places, but they're now trying to bring that to Washington to enforce their woke ideology, their culture, their fiscal policy, their socialism on places that reject that. 
More and more power is coming to Washington. And here's my big concern, and this is the reason I end up getting involved, is that I saw with Donald Trump, who I supported and appreciated almost everything he did as president, policy-wise. He did a great job. Surprised the heck out of me. An amazing job. But here's the concern I have, is that he got frustrated, like many presidents do, and started doing things presidents don't have the power to do. Using executive orders and rules and playing games. And, and we cheered him because he was doing the right thing. He was doing the right thing. But we cheered him. You may not remember four years ago, Donald Trump came out and said, we should end the filibuster in the Senate because they were blocking his bill. And many of you cheered him. Four years later, you're like cheering Joe Manson and Kristen Sinema for saving the country. And they, in fact, did from majoritarian rule. Our founders, if anything they were afraid of, is afraid of the tyranny of the majority. That whatever, whoever gets into power can fundamentally change this country with the stroke of a pen. Stability in the law is a good thing. You may not like it, but laws should be hard to change, not easy. It shouldn't be the whim of the public. Well, we really need to do this. Well, it's great. But sometimes taking time and making sure there's consensus is the best way to have a stable country based on the rule of law, not the whim of a president. And so I was out giving speeches about this to conservative audience who weren't particularly receptive, I'll be honest with you. And a friend of mine came to me and said, you know, you should get involved in this new movement that's out there called Convention of States. And... And I said, well, I have some concerns about that. I, you know, I've heard about this, but I didn't really know much about it. And, and so I started to dig into it because I was looking for a solution. I'm concerned about the future of this country as we become incredibly and even more so divided that some bad things can happen in this country, that people get frustrated and things go awry. It's happened before and that we need to channel the energy to restore and reclaim this country's traditional values and founding principles of limited government and government closest to the people and individual freedom and responsibility. We have to channel that into a place that is constructive. And here's what I found. What I found when I really dug into this issue is that these people who we have so much respect for, as conservatives, and we talk about them all the time, the founders, they actually anticipated a time like this. In Article 5 of the Constitution, there's a provision to amend the Constitution. And there's two provisions. One says Congress can propose amendments, which they've done multiple times. And the second is something that was put in at the request of a guy named George Mason. Was a Virginian who was very suspicious of federal power. And he said, we have to have some way in which to check federal power beyond checks and balances in Washington, because if the federal government becomes all powerful, then each branch of government will husband that power and not check each other. They will feed each other. Sound familiar? But we have to have some mechanism to check them. And so, Two members, one from Massachusetts and one from Pennsylvania, Governor Morris, proposed an amendment 
to Article 5, which put in place a call for a convention of states, where if two-thirds of the state legislatures of this country come together and call for a convention to amend, to propose amendments to the Constitution. And so that's what the Convention of the States movement is about. They put forth a resolution, which was drafted by folks like Mark Levin and Mike Ferris and others, constitutional conservative constitutional scholars. And they put together this proposal, this resolution, which is now passed in 19 states that that allows for this convention to be called for three purposes. To propose amendments, to limit the terms of federal office holders, office holders being everything from United States senators to Tony Fauci, right? Members of the bureaucracy. Number two, to limit the fiscal, to, to limit spending, balanced budget amendment, line item veto, tax limitation amendment. So any amendment that would limit spending. And third is to limit the jurisdiction of the federal government. They can't legislate, for example, in the area of education or in the area of health care or other areas that they now have usurped from the states and from you. So those amendments, those would be the three types of amendments that would be allowed at a convention. We have 19 states that have passed this resolution. It is on the calendar of the State Senate as we speak here in Pennsylvania. We have an opportunity to be the 20th state in Pennsylvania. Just about every conservative state, from Alabama to North Dakota, has adopted this. There's a few others. North Carolina passed the House, and it's about to pass the Senate here in the next few weeks. We need 34. But it remarkably, as divided as this country is, they're not divided as much on state legislatures. 31 state legislatures are controlled by Republicans right now. We'll pick up Minnesota, which will be 32, because we already control one House, and we're just a couple votes short in the House, in the, in the House of Representatives, and we're going to win that this year. We're going to win a lot of elections this year. So we have an opportunity to get to 34 states this year. Which means that if every Republican legislator voted for this, we would have a convention of the states where every state would come together at a convention that would be nationally televised and nationally covered. Every state gets one vote. And they would come and they would debate the limitations of power of the federal government. You know what that means? That means every school teacher in America who teaches civics would have to cover what the Constitution says. Imagine, imagine all of the left-wing media is going to have to talk about what the balance of power should be in Washington, D.C. We'll have a national debate about who controls and who says. I don't know if we'll have, this, this convention will propose amendments that will be adopted. It'll be hard. It should be hard, by the way. Any amendment that's proposed at this convention has to get 38 state legislatures to ratify it. So there's some people arguing, oh, horrible things could happen to this convention. Okay, let's say they do. I don't think it will. It's limited to the things I talked about. 
when it happens, 34 Republican legislatures will have had to pass this because Democrats, every left-wing group is against this. Every Democrat, almost every Democrat votes against it. So if it happens, it will happen because Republicans are in a supermajority control of the legislatures. So if you believe something bad can come out of that convention, maybe, doubt it, but maybe, it still needs 38 state legislatures to ratify it. The bigger argument, the more plausible argument, is that very little will happen. But in my mind, that's okay too. Because once you have shown the federal government that the legislatures are willing to do this, that means they'll do it again. Once people see that this is a viable avenue to fire shots across the bow of Washington about how they behave there, then all of you, the citizens of the United States, will see this as an appropriate remedy to check the excesses. The reason America has survived and has been successful as it has been over the past 225 years is because we have a federal system. What does that mean? That means that, and it's been this way from the beginning, people minimize this, but it's true. We, in Washington, they respected at a time that every state could be different because they were different. And they agreed to disagree on a lot of things, some of them bad, like slavery. But we agreed to disagree and let states be states. And if you didn't like the state you were living in, guess what? You could move to another state. By the way, that's happening in droves in America right now. And that's okay. If California wants to be the woke capital of the world, fine, but don't mandate it on the rest of us. Right? That's federalism. The only way for America to survive, the left talks about the importance of diversity. Diversity is a natural state of things. What's hard is unity. Unity is the hard thing. It's getting people who are diverse to agree on a certain set of principles we can live by. And what we need to go back to in America is a certain set of principles that we can all agree to and then let people be different. Let Pennsylvania be Pennsylvania. Let Iowa be Iowa. Let North Dakota be North Dakota. Let New York be New York. The only way to accomplish that is to limit the power of the federal government to mandate these things on everybody. So here's my ask for you, because I know I'm standing between you and lunch. And that is to contact your state house members and state senators and tell them it's time for Pennsylvania to be the magic number 20. They have the opportunity to do it right now. The governor doesn't have to sign any of these resolutions. <laughs> Article 5 is very clear. The legislatures decide. They didn't want, they, they distrusted executives. That's why they gave Congress the power to propose amendments. The president didn't need to be involved. They gave the legislatures the power. Governors aren't involved. Your legislature, controlled by Republicans, right now, can do this. 
but they need to hear from you. Convention of States has a table out there. Go out there, sign the petition. But call your, you, you know your members. Call your legislator. Tell them this is important. And if they don't know about it, tell them to get up to speed. Because this matters. As I say to every legislative group I speak to, there is nothing more important you will do as a member of the state legislature than this. Because this isn't just about Pennsylvania. This is about maintaining freedom for this country and holding this country together. Federalism, people say, how are we ever going to get back together? How are we ever going to be united again? And the answer is we probably won't for a long time. But that doesn't mean we can't live together separately. That doesn't mean that South Dakota can be South Dakota and California can be California. And as long as people in California don't try to tell South Dakotans what to do and South Dakotans don't try to tell Californians what to do, we probably can agree on some basic things. This is how it works. This is how you get through troubled times. But we need to act now. And we need you to be <laughs> unafraid. To show some courage. To shake things up. Get Pennsylvania to be 20. Join the effort to get all the other states. We'll get the rest. Lead. Pennsylvania has an opportunity to lead to be a state, Wisconsin just passed it this year. Not different from Pennsylvania very much. Tougher, we're a tougher state, but still. We would be a state, we'd probably be the biggest state in the country that's purplish to do this. That's leadership. That's leadership. But we all know members need to hear from you. You don't underestimate. Everybody tells, oh, there's money and money. No, it's not money, it's votes. Nobody wins a race with money. They win it with votes. And you're the votes. Get out there and make a change for the country and start doing things to save this republic. God bless you. To learn more, visit conventionofstates.com.